0: Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to The Jimbo Paris Show. All right. How's it going, everyone? This is Jimbo Paris, and welcome to The Jimbo Paris Show. And today we have Jeff Getty. How's it going, man?
1: Hey, how are you today?
0: Good, good. All right. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to i am a uh, technically by background I'm a tax attorney who has spent the majority of his career working with close business owners as they transition or transact those businesses i left the practice of law quite a few years ago to work as a consultant and business advisor and have been doing that for key bank now for the past 11 years why the last
0: 11 years what happened during those 11 years
1: I decided to leave my own consulting practice and join up with the bank primarily because of the opportunity to present itself inside their their client book of business. There's been there's a generational shift that most people are aware of that's going on. Where about 65% of all closely held businesses inside the United States are owned by baby boomers, and banks tend to have a lot of those business owners and entrepreneurs as clients. And in order to make the the largest impact to the largest number of clients, I thought joining up inside of a bank channel or chassis would make a lot of sense.
0: Where did this passion of working with banks and finance start as a kid?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure it started as a kid. I was in a very traditional background, right? The working as a child, or you know, did the whole lawn mowing and that sort of thing. But as I started taking on additional responsibilities through high school, taking on different jobs and such, and through college, I became really interested in entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship, and how entrepreneurs built things and then ultimately transitioned or transacted things. And decided to go to law school to see if I could learn more about how to help them do that and did that on my own and in private practice for for quite some time and decided at some point that I was spending so much time out on client acquisition that I thought it was impeding my ability to spend more time and actually working on those clients and helping them reach an optimized outcome, whatever they were trying to achieve. So I guess the passion started with, I just enjoyed learning how people create things, make money, build things. And a part of that, I'm not an engineer by background. I don't make things. The part that I could add some real value to is how to help people successfully monetize and, and move things, transfer from entrepreneur to sitting on a beach or whatever their passion was.
0: You said transfer. Can you kind of elaborate on what you mean by that? That sounds very interesting.
1: Yeah. So when when people talk about generally inside of businesses and they usually talk about mergers and acquisitions or M&A work, which traditionally means selling the business to a third party, more recently, typically private equity groups, I tend to talk about business transfers and transitions a little more broader scope. And that is the majority of what we do, but not a a huge one. We also assist owners with transitions to family members. For example, I'm going to give it to my kids, uh, part gift, part sell to my kids, or I'm going to transition it to my management team or to my employees, right? So ESOPs, management buyouts, things like that. So it's a very wide scope, right? We, we don't come in with a preconceived notion with any business owner that, hey, in order to achieve what you want to achieve, you have to sell to this type of buyer, right? We look at it very holistically and sit down and, and what's more important than me asking you know, or telling a client what they should do to optimize value, it's more important for me to actively listen to them and say, what is it you're trying to achieve? Because it's not always about getting the highest dollar figure.
0: And what are some of the, you know, kind of the big, like notable experiences you've had in this career of yours so far?
1: Oh, wow. So I, I can start at a very high level and and say that the the largest surprise to me as an advisor has been how, Infrequently, businesses, the transition channel chosen or the transfer channel chosen around their business is based on the highest value they're going to receive. That was a big shock to me because I just assumed that as entrepreneurs when I was younger, that they would always try to get the most out of the deal possible. The biggest shakeup for me along those lines was many years ago, I worked with a business owner who was in a small town in Ohio. He was the primary employer to that town and had every intention of quote unquote selling and retiring to that small town where he had grown up and started this business. And he, we received a number of offers on his behalf for that business. And he ended up not taking any of them. He ended up actually doing an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan, because he didn't want to see the town he had grown up in, the people he had employed, the ancillary businesses that he had helped create, supporting his employees in his business, be destroyed by some sort of sale to a a third party where they would have taken something out of his community. That was a big surprise. I think other big surprises I've seen over the years is, you know, As much as I do respect and and like the clients I deal with, it was a big surprise to me how few of them actually understand the intricacies of how transitions and transactions work. I think coming in as as a young attorney, I believed that most of them knew how to get to the end state, whatever that looked like, the, the end of the business cycle, so to speak, for them. It was a big surprise to me how often I was spending more and more time educating people, more so than providing really technical advice, so Was more basic education type stuff. That was a surprise to me. And then I'd say the last piece that's really been a shock is the what I call the family matters piece. You know, family issues that underlie inside of a, of a family don't get better with a business and they certainly don't get better once the business is sold or transitioned right if there's underlying issues or concerns or problems inside the family structure they're going to transcend the ownership structure or where the business goes so uh, oftentimes i end up in conversations with people about children grandchildren spouses relationships Mm -hmm that's not technical stuff but doing it for 26 years you kind of get a flavor as to where there might be an issue and then i generally try to tell clients stories about how other clients have navigated through these issues successfully or unsuccessfully to help them become self-aware or self or or defined by other advisors to help them navigate some of those thornier issues
0: so you bring up a very very interesting thing because while you are an extremely technical man you also talk about you know, telling stories. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a different social spectrum that I definitely want to get into later in this interview. But one question I need to ask is so, if we were to take everything that you did, what do you kind of specifically do, technically, like in your area? Like, you, you kind of showed a bit of everything that you do, but what do you specifically do?
1: Yeah. So from a very technical standpoint, right? That's Mm -hmm. what you're asking. First and foremost, I would consider myself a a tax, transactional tax attorney, right? That's really where I was trained in historically. I have a law degree and a master's degree in tax. And from a very hardcore technical background, I would say of over my career, 50% of my professional advisory time has been spent walking clients through and or structuring deals to achieve achieve the best tax result, right? So that would be Mm -hmm. the largest single category of what I do. After that, I would say the other big piece, and again, this is something you kind of learn no one really trains you to do, is to negotiate deals on behalf of clients, right? So I get into situations where the business owner, it's you know they're they're going down a path, and they're typically the folks on the proverbial other side of the table are sophisticated, strategic competitors or private equity groups that have very sophisticated people on their staff whose job it is full time to negotiate purchases, and to come in and use my professional expertise, knowledge, and experience with financial modeling, understanding uh, strategic synergies and things like that to help clients articulate a story. And fight back against the counter stories to mm. get them the best deal possible.
0: What does wealth technically mean to you?
1: To me, wealth somewhat transcends dollar figures, right? There, there's there's wealth of of you know certainly financial wealth, right? That's fairly easy. How much do I have in my account, so to speak? But there's an emotional wealth and wealth being. There's a familial wealth and wealth being, right? And then there's what I call maybe legacy or giving back to community of wealth, right? What am I giving back to the community? Either my time, my talents, or just money. So it transcends a lot of different areas. And and I think that's based on somewhat personality and trying to find a good balance between my life, my professional life and my personal life. But then also having the experience of having had a number of clients who were older than me pass on. And when they're towards the end of their life cycle, what it is they want to talk about, what it is they focus on, tends to be a lot more than just the money, right? So wealth, to me, covers a lot of areas, not just the traditional definition of financial.
0: How did you begin to sort of teach people about taxes and how taxes (laughs)
1: work? So Primarily when I was, you know, when I came out of school, because I was trained in tax and how, and, you know, the technical aspects of when you're faced with a situation, how to navigate through that. And then I, what I found was working inside of a law firm environment. And then even later on is that most people with that background experience tend to want to, they don't want to do it, but they end up doing it, losing people in the technical aspects. i like to use a lot of acronyms. They like to have a, a bunch of very detailed, explicit examples that talk about things that most people wouldn't know or care about, I actually found it to be a little more interesting to talk about at a very high level you know, features and benefits around tax strategy or particular strategies without ever actually naming the strategy. So an example would be instead of telling a client the acronym for a particular trust strategy that'll save taxes, I would say, hey, if I could show you a way where you would somewhat limit access to access assets inside of a vehicle for a period of time, but it would gain you a tax benefit equivalent to a reduction of 10, 15, 20% of your tax rate on a transaction. Would that interest you? Right. So I try to bring it down to a level where people could understand like they don't care about the acronym, just what's the feature and benefit of me doing so and a little bit of what's the cost of me doing so. And once I take the conversation or learned how to take the conversation to that level, I could have a really meaningful dialogue with clients about you know, how much they really need out of something immediately versus what they can defer versus what they're willing to give up to someone else. That's getting to the meat of the philosophical view around you know wealth and wealth management and and moving something through a transaction so different approach
0: when you're coaching your clients maybe on how to learn these things do you use books as a resource do you just sit down with them and kind of discuss it with them how do people even know in the first place if they need you yeah maybe their knight in shining armor and they don't even know you know that you're there for them
1: yeah so I don't typically use books. When I have clients who really want to understand a lot of details around certain things, I will at times suggest an author that's written some on some topics, but that's pretty rare. For the most part, it's conversational, right? When I sit down with someone, I try to wipe the slate of, you know, any preconceived notions, even if the person who's introduced me to them has given me additional intel about them, about what they think they've heard or what they think the client actually wants, I will actively, what I call actively listen and, and leave with open-ended questions. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about what good looks like in the next three to five years, what great looks like in the next three to five years. And then once I have a flavor, right, of how much time, effort, and their end goal they're trying to look for, then I can sort of back into, based on how they responded and the personality of response, to start to build in my mind the appropriate way to send fault materials for them to read, stuff they can look at on the internet, or the next meeting, what sort of materials I will bring in as far as modeling or sampling goes. I've got clients that want to know every minutiae detail of how Funds flow through a deal, where things go, how they're held, like the titles, the names, everything, right? And I've got other clients that are like, just give me the big picture, right? Like, Or if you were in my shoes, that's one of my favorite things and say, look, I know we've spent the last few months, few weeks, whatever, talking about a lot of different topics and outcomes. Let me put myself in your shoes for a second. And let me tell you the balance that I see knowing a little bit about you, what I would do if I were in your shoes. So I'm really big on offering what I consider real advice experience and saying, you know, hey, I can throw 50 different things at you and it's hard for you to decipher what's the right choices. I will absolutely tell somebody, if I were in your shoes, here's the pieces and parts I would choose as far as an overall tax strategy and why I would do so, what the balance factors are. And if you want to dial it up or dial it down, here's the other piece or part you can insert or take away to custom fit for you.
0: Now, you mentioned the word custom fit mm-hmm. so from how i see it you tend to when it comes to tax management you tend to tailor a lot of your your methods to specific people can you kind of elaborate on that and maybe how regular businesses in general that just do coaching and consulting can maybe perform tailoring as well
1: yeah i think there's a preconceived notion with with tax advisors generally that clients are either going to fall in one of two camps right they're either going to be always super conservative and do the bare minimum right hey taxes are a blessing right like you got to keep 70 percent of what you made or they are well my clients are a thousand percent on board we have to do everything to save every squeeze every penny possible out of a a deal or transaction And I don't think any client really fits in either of those camps particularly well. I mean, there are people that do, but I wouldn't know that walking into a situation, even if I've gotten to meet them a few times. So I tend to, in the first couple of discussions with them, listen, like I said, pretty actively get a flavor as to how far I think they want to push things and then lay out some scenarios in, in, in a very summary level like a a conservative middle of the road and aggressive tax planning strategies, right? And what those outcomes would look like. And then I attach all the modeling behind that, but I don't typically go through that with them because I don't want them distracted on trying to figure out why on page 13, there's this, the decimals here versus here. Like that's that's details that they don't need to understand at that stage and based on their reactions right like okay if the middle of the road approach looks attractive you've moved your tax rate down from a 30 percent to a 20 percent rate and there's some parameters around what you've given up control-wise, what you've given up you know, access-wise, things like that, they seem to gravitate towards that. Then I can come back with, okay, you seem to be modeling more towards the middle of aggressiveness and outcome. Let's look at what else we can bolt on to make it look a little more attractive or a little less aggressive. That's kind of the way I tend to lay things out. It's more time consuming right? It's more work on my side because there's a lot more modeling that goes on and a lot more give and take instead of a, hey, every client of mine does X, ergo, you must do X. And here's what that looks like. I try to stay away from that thought process because clients are, are all unique in what they're trying to achieve or what their risk tolerances are, or what their, their ability to pay to get outcomes are. So I don't want to preconceive that they have to fit in particular boxes.
0: What I'm thinking here is, so you were... You're working with taxes, and mm-hmm. maybe this is
1: a very basic
0: question, but from a standard level, what are taxes, and why are they so important?
1: From the government standpoint, or from society standpoint, they're they're important because, you know, taxes fund the things we all enjoy, right? Whether we choose to admit it or not, the fact that there's highways we can drive on, or there's uh, police and fire department, and you know, ambulances that help us, to infra- other pieces of infrastructure, national defense. So taxes to fund government systems are in and of themselves important. I feel very strongly about that. Having said that, I have the philosophy that I'm willing to pay, and my clients are more likely willing to pay their share. They don't want to pay a disproportionate share, right? So they don't want to feel like they've been, you know, taken advantage of. So from that perspective, I usually tell people that start off in a first meeting that, look, there are certain things inside the Internal Revenue Code or the state revenue codes that are given to people like yourself uh to provide incentives for people like yourself to to start up build and then ultimately transition or transact your business it's my job at a bare minimum to teach you what those freebies are and then to the extent we can push those to the highest level possible i didn't write the law I don't really interpret the laws. My job is to find out how far you can bend the law or push things into gray area. How far you want to push them is not my decision. It's your decision, risk reward factors, things like that. But that's generally how I talk about taxes, right? And I'd start off with like paying zero taxes is problematic for as a society and i don't think most clients maybe some would be okay paying zero but they're okay with paying their fair share and i'm like let me help you define how you do that in the way that's most appropriate within the confines of the the legal parameters we've been given
0: and why do you think in general like i notice in society we tend to have a very negative connotation about taxes Mm -hmm. you know it's you know taxes always kind of had a a bit of a notorious reputation. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. I think generally we tend to feel that it's an overburdensome or overreach by the government. I mean, if you look at the way taxes were historically paid, versus where how they're currently paid. Like the federal income tax hasn't really been around all that long. The federal state tax has not been around all that long, so to speak. So it's almost like an intrusion, right? And I think there's certain mouthpieces in our society, whether it's political or, or not, who tend to like to push that agenda. So I think that's where we get kind of a very negative connotation. And I think part of it is, to be fair, is that you can look around and see some of the things that people perceive as poor policy by government so you're kind of wasting my tax dollars i don't believe in a vacuum most people would say completely defunding the government in its entirety is a good idea right or any government or at least some of the governments but i just don't want to pay more than i should or more than let's quote unquote my share finding that right realm finding that right thing is is a little bit tougher so that's definitely part of it and then I think it almost becomes for some people almost a game, right? Because if they do any sort of heavy duty tax strategy work on an annual basis with their business or even if they're not a business owner, they start to see it more or less as a game, like how little can I actually pay? So that certainly you know permeates and and pushes people to do this. And then I think the last piece is, is professionals like myself tend to make so many of these conversations about so heavily tax-driven and avoiding taxes that it becomes a mindset of of entrepreneurs and just wealthy people in general to avoid as much as possible i try to stay out of that realm you know i I mean surprisingly enough i try to read the situation not put my preconceived notions And, and i'll tell you a quick story about this many years ago i dealt with a client who when i asked them where they wanted the final you know, amount of their money when they were gone, to so do your estate plan, where their money would go. And he said something I'd never heard before. I've heard people say lots of things, <laughs> leave it to my dog, leave it to this charity, that charity, family, friends, whatever it is. And he said, I want to leave everything to the Department of Public Welfare in Pennsylvania. And I said, okay, that's a first for me. Can you, would you mind me asking why? And he said, sure. He's like, I grew up in the depression. I lost my parents and I was on my own and the state took me in the state raised me, basically, taught me how to get educated, became educated, and I ended up being very successful. And I really don't have, I have distant family, but not close. And I really believe the fact that I'm standing here today and did all these things in my life was because the state helped me. And therefore, I'm going to give this back to the state. Unusual for sure, but I really always, that story's always stuck in my mind. I really respected that because he saw Mm -hmm the value of a, a government entity doing something for good that was very personal to him, but saw that there was good that came out could come out of it and wanted to give it back. So very different experience for me. I don't usually hear something like that.
0: Excellent, excellent interview. Do you have any final words you would like to say to the audience?
1: If you don't want, I'd like to just explain for just a moment or two about the book I'm finishing because Sure. Go on. Yeah, it was very specific. So over the years, as I said, I do a lot of speaking. And people come up and say, you should really put this all down in a book. And it's a daunting challenge, right? There's so much stories and information over a 26-year career, let alone a 30-year career, to try to distill it into meaningful stories. Like So I just want to get out there and put some of these stories on paper to show people how to reach the right conclusion about maybe the do's and don'ts as opposed to a true how-to. Because everybody's experience in this process is going to be slightly different or substantially different. So, you know, there's going to be a series of forks in the road. How do you effectively navigate through it? Because a fork in the road, everybody shouldn't go left and everybody shouldn't go right. And maybe there's some that shouldn't go either way and just cut their own path. So I just tried to build in a series of stories that were both entertaining, Mm -hmm. in some cases amusing, but in, in most cases to really try to hammer home a point for folks that when you're faced with something like this, put yourself in the situation, how would you handle it? And what would be the more effective way or the best way or what I proceeded the best way. But it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of work, but it was a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to getting it out and having some other people give me feedback and who knows, maybe there'll be a volume two at some point.
0: All right. Well, again, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you for kind of cluing us in on that book. People here will be looking out for that. Appreciate it. So, just to kind of end this off, do you have any words you'd like to give to the audience or? You
1: know, I just say this, if you're in this situation, right? Where you're, you're you know, take this to the to the, the entrepreneur or business owner, like you've, you've done some amazing things, stuff I don't know how to do and couldn't. Whether you talk to me, find someone like me or, or who has that kind of experience that can help you successfully navigate through this, this final stage in that business life cycle. You've spent so much time building something and you've probably got a little blood, sweat, and tears into that. So, so don't leave stuff on the table, whatever that is to you. There is an answer to successfully descending from that pinnacle of your career uh, don't leave that to chance. Take control of it. Find a way to translate that into something else. As you're looking through transitions, like that's a big part of what I've helped people navigate. Is what does the second chapter, third chapter of my life look like? I guess that's my party advice. And hey, I just want to thank you. I really enjoy doing these, and this was great. I really enjoyed the the, the back and forth and the questions, and the interview, and and thank you so much for having me as a guest. It's
0: my privilege, and you know, it's an honor to have you on my show. All right. So again, this was uh, Mr. Getty. He was an amazing guest. And let's kind of end it off here. So first of all, a special thanks to our sponsors here, Six Figure University and Jones Bay, Kimiana Jones Bay. They're focused on teaching you how to sort of get into real estate and maybe even build your own hair salon. Next person here is going to be LifeWork Systems. They're our affiliate partner. And Judy Ryan is basically an HR superstar. She works hard on helping businesses improve their HR infrastructure. And also, this is going to be on YouTube. So, subscribe now to our YouTube channel. And finally, this is also available on Roku. So, check us out on Roku too. This episode will be here just like all of our other episodes. All right. I'm Jimbo Paris. This is the Jimbo Paris Show. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to The Jimbo Parish Show.